Hello, and welcome to Kingwood United Methodist Church. Thank you for joining us today. Wherever you're listening from, and whatever service you're listening to, we strongly believe because of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, there is always more to life. We're looking a couple of weeks uh, just to focus on some passages that help us to reset our hearts. It seems as if when we look at the lights that are blinking yellow on the mornings and the rhythms of school, they almost change the rhythm of all of our lives. I know this for a fact. It will change my ability to get down Kingwood Drive for the next nine months. I have to reprogram my brain, if you would, about certain hours to avoid Westlake Houston and Kingwood Drive because of the congestion or North Park and Woodland Hills that that happens. But, but education and the education system really has a major impact on the rhythms of so much of our world. And so last week what we focused on was really drilling down about understanding the heart as the center of all that the emotion, the feeling, the psyche, it all comes together in the Hebrew understanding, not just the organ that beats. This week what we want to focus on is how we direct our hearts and where we find our focus. A couple of weeks ago, we had the opportunity to break away for a little bit, a vacation that was cut short, um, but, um, but we enjoyed the time that we had, and we go to Coachera, Colorado, because if you go to Coachera, it's hard getting cell coverage. Thanks be to God. <laughs> and we go to Unpon, and we came to this moment, and this is what we saw. Now remember, we're going to Cordova Pass. Sean is my navigator. And I said, well, okay, honey, which way do you think we ought to go? And she said, well, let's go to the right. I think that's where we're supposed to go. Because the only thing going left is Salazar Trail. And I don't even know what Vista Point is. Well, West Peak is a 3,200-foot climb over 3.9 miles. We didn't make it all the way. What I thought we were going to go see was this kind of vista in view that uh, we found. That's what I took with my iPhone. And when you get up to the Cordova Pass, you can see this beautiful vista. Have you ever had that moment in life when you were walking down a path and you thought you were going the direction you were supposed to go, only to find out that the turn that you took and the signs that you interpreted set you on a trajectory for a path that you may not be fully equipped to hike? I mean, we had the opportunity, just after that split, we go across this larger section. And I kind of thought, you know, I think we're supposed to be back over that way. And then the people coming back at us, because we went about 11 o'clock and we were going to have lunch and an overlook. And the people coming back at us, and this should have been a clue. They had like the backpacks with the built-in water kind of things. And they had their little hiking boots and they had sticks. If you ever go hiking and you're looking for a casual, just look at what's coming back at you. And I mean, they were like, this big around. That was the biggest hit. I got a whole lot more working with gravity. Some of these bean poles coming at me. I didn't watch the signs. Folks, this is life for us, isn't it? That that we have all these opportunities to recognize the signs around us. We're on this trail. and, And rather than pause and listen or turn around, we keep this trajectory. 
Well, let's listen to what Scripture says to us today in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. These words are going to be on the screen. I invite you to turn to them in your app or your Bible, turn to them at home. I invite you to stand now out of respect to God's Word for these two brief verses that are filled with wisdom. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated and let us pray together. God, as I've wrestled with this text and felt your movement I ask that you would transcend the limitations of my own thoughts and words and that your spirit would stand between me and your people so that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together would be transformed and molded into the good news of the gospel of Christ in whose name we have gathered, in whose name we pray, and in whose name we will depart and seek to serve faithfully. And all of God's people did say, Amen. Several years ago, the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals, based in Richmond, Virginia, ruled that the phrase, in God we trust, on a government building, does not violate the separation of church and state. They ruled that this phrase could remain on a government building in Lexington, North Carolina. But listen to the opinion from Judge Robert King. The Fourth Circuit has heretofore characterized the phrase, in God we trust, when used as a national motto on coins and currency, as a, quote, patriotic and ceremonial motto with no theological or ritualistic impact. Friends, if those words, in God we trust, have no theological or ritualistic impact, then you and I could just as easily submit the phrase in our work here in the name of Mickey Mouse in place of God. There's worlds filled with why questions. For example, here's some of the why questions that linger with me. Uh, One is, why do we park on driveways and drive on parkways? (laughs) Think about that. Why are there interstate highways in Hawaii? (laughs) Why are there flotation devices under plane seats instead of parachutes? And to take it one step further, I've always wondered this. In the moment that the cabin is decompressurized, that means that there's a good chance the plane's not going to make it. So oxygen masks are going to fall down from the ceiling in front of you. We want you to calmly put them on yourselves. It's almost as if, wait a minute, there's no oxygen up there. I had the chance of missing this this tragic moment of not missing what we're going to be aiming at at Earth and pass out. But no, the airline wants me to get everything I paid for. (laughs) Put on that oxygen mask and enjoy the tear for your final moments. (laughs) And this thought, why do they call it TV set when you only get one? (laughs) And just as I say that, I'm laughing and thinking about about history. Have you ever heard the kids today say, well, can't change a channel. I can't find the channel changer. Raise your hand if you were the channel changer at your house. Yeah. <laughs> How many of you remember when the little knob clicker broke, you actually got the vice clips and put them down and tick, 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 right? Or the airplanes would come by on UHF verse 13 and you kind of understand. How many of you ever used aluminum foil as rabbit ears to get a signal? 
You folks that are young and starting school, you need to take inspiration. We, all of us in this room, we walked uphill to school and walked uphill home. And by golly, it was snowing both ways. So many why questions. Why really should we trust in God? And if we really do trust in God, what does that mean for our lives? And we're, we're going back to school, right? And, and when you get back to school, how many of you know that what's going to happen over this next week is going to be the basics, right? That our educators and teachers, we're going to be going back to the very basics. When the bell rings, line up here. Or if they're going to English class, they're going to go back to the very basics. If you're in sports, they're going back to the fundamentals and the basics. If they're in band or some other, they're going to go to the very basics to re-engage. So in a way, I want to start with the very basics of this passage. You see, this passage is about two things, our part and God's part. Our part, as we read this passage, is trusting God, and God's part is is guiding our lives. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, this passage opens up with. The word trust is batach in the Hebrew, and it literally means to lie down or to stretch out on. I mean, have you think just a, a simple example. When you sit on the edge of your bed, do you sit for a moment thinking, well, I hope this is going to hold me when I stretch out and lie down on it. I, I I'm con- it may it may not. I mean, we just assume, and the best way to get this Hebrew understanding of trust is the way in which at the end of the day or the middle of the day if you're napping, you just plop down on something and you know it's going to hold you. Maybe it's this afternoon when you plop down this afternoon in your recliner to take the nap, and I know you all do on Sunday. <laughs> when you just plop down or, or you throw yourself on the bed, You don't think, gosh, I hope the bed... You just know that the bed is going to hold you. You just stretch yourself out that way. This is that Hebrew understanding. And the Hebrew language is drawn out with depth and three-dimensional meaning. It's not just trusting God. It's not just a logo on currency. It means you're going to stretch yourself out. You're going to depend. You're going to believe on God with all of your heart. You've got to put your whole heart into trusting God. You see, there's no such thing as half-hearted trust. You either trust God totally or you don't really trust God at all because half-hearted trust is the same as whole-hearted doubt. Thanks again for joining us for today's message. We will return to the sermon in a moment, but first, we would like to ask for you to rate, share, and subscribe to our podcast. We believe God is doing some amazing things here at KUMC, and your feedback helps our church to reach new listeners that we wouldn't otherwise be able to reach. Now, let's get back to the work. Half-hearted trust is the same as whole-hearted doubt. We are then told, do not lean on your own understanding. And just diagramming this in very basic and simple ways of the scripture, the Hebrew word for lean is exactly as we translate it. There are times when we unpack these Hebrew or these Greek words, and we need to understand the different nuances in which they're meaning. The word lean is exactly what it means in the Hebrew, is what it means for us in English. I mean... What's that old song? And if Matt were able to just break out in song right now, lean on me. When you're not strong. Come on. 
your friend, and I'll help you carry. Who's got some rhythm in the room? So it won't be long I'm going to need somebody to lead on. So you know, you already, this is already part of who you are. This sense of leaning is something that is outside of you that you depend on. The writer of Proverbs is telling us clearly, don't try to lean on yourself. Or as we say in vernacular, sometimes, well, you need to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. It can't be done. You can't lean upon yourself. We're called not to lean upon ourselves, but in other words, to be leaning into God, not to be guided just by what we think or feel. And this does not mean that we are to be without understanding. It doesn't mean that you're supposed to shift your brain and cognitive processing into neutral. It doesn't mean that you don't use common sense. But it does mean you don't simply use your own reasoning, your own intelligence, your own thoughts to be the sole guide and principle for your life. And then we are introduced in verse 6 to another concept. In addition to trusting God as a focus, not leaning on our own understanding, it's almost as if this is verse 2 of the same rhythms. In all your ways, acknowledge God. Acknowledge Him. Did you get the emphasis of that verse? It doesn't say, in some ways, acknowledge God. It doesn't say, just as you... Work with your kids, acknowledge God. Just as you relate to your parents, acknowledge God. Just as you go to church, acknowledge God. It means every part of your life, you ought to be asking these questions. What does God want? What does God desire? And what would be the God-honoring thing to do? You are to acknowledge God in all your ways. Can you imagine how it would change every part of each of our lives in our culture, therefore, if we literally said, God, we know that you want to be a part of every decision in my life, every single one, not just the big ones. What would that look like? What's that byproduct of that? It's that God will direct your path. Now, this verse 6 ending has several translations. Some say, make your path straight. I don't think that's the best translation because when we hear make your path straight, we think of HOV lane going downtown, that God clears the obstacles, we're going to get there like we want to, drive as fast as we want to, and there's not going to be any challenge. What really I think the best translation of this word is, is really means is to direct the path. The word in the Hebrew literally means to cut through or to make a highway or to make a path. In other words, God is going to clear a path for us. It doesn't mean that it's going to be without any challenge. It doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. But in, when we acknowledge God in all our ways, God is the one who will be directing our path, guiding us in the midst of all of the challenges that we experience. You know, that still raises the question, okay, that's all great, that makes sense, but how does God direct our path? This is the historic doctrine and teaching within the life of the church called the doctrine of revelation. How does God reveal himself to me in a way that I will understand where God is leading? I remember uh, Dr. David Steinmetz, who was my mentor at Duke, he was a world authority in Reformation theology and Martin Luther, and he was discussing this one day about the doctrine of revelation, and he looked over my way, he said, Palmer, 
And that got my attention. When your professor calls you in class, it gets your attention. I unfortunately drew his ire because he really did not like the song Kumbaya. He had mentioned that in a lecture. And so I had stirred all of my classmates into a moment that we thought would be really funny. You know how you have something in your mind that's really funny? We decided to softly sing Kumbaya as he walked into class one day. And he came in, and we were singing that, and he plopped his stuff down. He said, I hate that song. Who started this? (laughs) And do you know that every one of my classmates taught me the most important lesson, whether it be in ministry or life? Nobody's going to hang around you with you. The professor wants to know who to blame. They all pointed at Palmer. So from then on, Palmer, you're from Texas, aren't you? I said, yes, sir. Having no clue where this is going. He said, we're going to talk about the the doctrine of revelation today. He had this sort of stammered way. We said he would lecture when he tried to preach, and he would preach when he tried to lecture. And he went on to talk about Palmer, are there cows in Texas? Yes, of course there are Texas. Palmer, are there rainstorms? And yes. Palmer, have you ever been out at night when there's been a rainstorm blowing in? Yes, I have. Is it dark? Yes. I mean, he's just leading me on. I'm thinking, oh, this is pretty easy. (laughs) And then after sort of making my nervousness peak, he let me off and he said, friends, imagine that Palmer is at the edge of a pasture where a whole, Palmer, what do you call them? herd of cattle or flock of cattle? Herd. This whole herd of cattle have been all day. Palmer, do cattle leave repository things on the, on the ground where they have been? <laughs> yes, professor, they do. Uh, imagine Palmer has to get from one side of the pasture to the other and all these cattle have been there all day long. And they have left their repository markers throughout the pasture. And the thunderstorm is blowing in, and there's no stars, there's no light, but momentarily there's a bolt of lightning that happens. And in front of Palmer, he can see Watson lays in front of him, and in fact, he can see the whole way across the pasture. But the revelation of God works like this, that if Palmer tries to go further than what he remembers seeing, he shall surely get in a mess. (laughs) Simple concept that has stuck with me. God reveals himself to us. But, but see, when you and I think about what it looks like to direct the path, we have sort of our modern GPS expectations. We plug in a GPS, we're going from here to there, and automatically on your dashboard, on your phone, it's going to say, it's 32.1 miles, this is the fastest route. If you've got ways, it's going to tell you how many obstacles there are, how many police officers there are, etc. But at the end, it's going to tell you, this is how long it's going to take to get there. And you've got the whole route right in front of you. It doesn't work like that in our walk with God. God's revelation and what he reveals to us doesn't take us the entire journey. He tells us the destination of our faith in Christ, but so many things along the journey are not revealed to us. And the question as we walk along this path together is, how will we read the marker sign that is in front of us And who will direct our path? An opinion piece in the Wall Street Journal this past Thursday was shared with me by a good pastoral friend. And I think it sheds lights on the condition of our world through the lens of how social media became a feeding uh, feeding frenzy of opinions on Simone Biles. 
whom I believe did the best thing for her team by withdrawing, so she should be applauded, in my opinion, because it's a team sport. And the article goes on to talk about what's happening in social media. I love the phrase. I posted it on my Facebook page. This author says in the opinion piece, what we have done with social media is democratize neurosis. In other words, we have made anxiety and problems mentally available to everybody. Now, I'm going to try not to go down a rabbit hole or stand on a soapbox, but what I think this basically means is that the keyboard narcissistic warriors and snapshot superheroes of, of uh, the Instagrams sort of extray, they, they, they reveal for us that they really can't be an expert on everybody else's life when they can't even manage their own. And they sort of gaslight everything through fishing expeditions and comments without doing any research. And so I would just say... People need to learn to face their problems and people and communicate together rather than Facebook them. We've got enough on our hands just trying to stick together through COVID. We certainly don't need social media to rip us apart. We need it to bring us together. So here's what the author goes on to say. For some intellectuals in the 1950s, Ozzy and Harriet was known as a family situation comedy became shorthand for a U.S. society that was overly idealized, personally repressive, and too morally restrictive. The bitter irony is that their solution in these intellectual sort of ventures was to minimize the personal restraints. Well, here we are. The modern narrative of nonstop disruption of everything and that's more dominant now than ever, has been a false mistake that has done damage to millions, notably the young, not because they are weak or vulnerable, but because no one should attempt to live inside such a hyper-interiorized bubble with no little or structure. My own favorite fix is also something out of the 1950s time warp. Go to church on Sunday. The secularism forever lobby laughs at that suggestion. But what's there to laugh about these days? Mm. Folks, the world needs us as the church. But we as a church collectively as the body of Christ cannot go to the places that we are not willing to go individually and personally. And we must ask, who is directing our path? And I don't know about each of your lives. I know that in the next seven weeks, we are going to craft out a sermon series and we have prayerfully discerned this. And we are intentional about naming this. This next sermon series is entitled Pursuing Perfection. Because just the word perfection raises an ire within us. But in our United Methodist Wesleyan tradition, John Wesley charts a different course of understanding perfection, and he says, how can we be made perfect in love, that our aspirational hopes are grounded in our faith and our availability to God and what God will do? And we're going to take dead aim at the way the world defines what being perfect is and how the scriptures define what it means to be made perfect in love. But it requires you to be on the right path, to read the signs the right way. In his preface of The Great Divorce, C.S. Lewis writes these words, I do not think that all who choose the wrong roads perish, but their rescue consists in being put back 
on the right road. What road are you on, my friends? And as you prepare for this new rhythm of year and the unavoidable impact, the same way that the blinking yellow lights will interrupt the traffic flow in times of day, we should be reminded of this new rhythm and opportunity to, in all our ways, acknowledge God, to trust on Him with our whole heart, to lean not upon our own understanding, and that God will, therefore, break a way in. So this week, I have one question for you. What is the one thing that you can do this week in your relationship with Christ to trust Him better and to acknowledge Him to direct your path? Let's pray together. God, these are beautiful words of wisdom from the writer of Proverbs, but they become empty and hollow if we do not let them seep into our souls, transform our thinking, impact our decision-making, and guide our every move. So would you awaken in us the movement of your Holy Spirit, the call of Christ, the refining work of your Holy Spirit to challenge those behaviors and practices which we are engaged in that clearly are on the wrong path. And God, would you help us bring our lives to you, to be shaped and molded by you and your love. For this we pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And all of God's people did say, Amen.